You're listening to The Wildest Night in Vancouver, a podcast reliving the history, trauma, and legacy of the 1907 anti-Asian Vancouver riots. Produced by the students of History 271 at the University of British Columbia. Episode 1, Background on Immigration. Hello, History 271 lovers. My name is Riley Tai, and this is my partner. Oh, Stephen Hong. And today we'll be discussing the topic of Japanese immigration during the earliest 20th century. As this topic is very broad, we'd like to focus on a specific uh, case study here in Vancouver, namely the Uchida Sotin General Store and the Uchida family that owned it throughout the years. Stefan, would you like to explain the significance of this store? Uchida Shoten was a small general store owned by Tentaro Uchida, who is a, a descendant of Kinoko Uchida, the first Japanese woman to immigrate to Canada. Great. And what's interesting about this general store is that it sold a lot of Japanese goods to Japanese immigrants in the area, right? Such as miso and shoyu. They used to make some bomb ramen. Unfortunately, it wasn't always good times for the owners of the Uchida store, as many immigrants could, could relate to large topics of racism. And that was especially the case in the early 20th century, when the Asian Exclusion League, a group of individuals in Vancouver and Canada throughout, also the USA, did not like a number of increased immigration. So they banded together to protest this violently. And it led to a series of riots on the West Coast in March 1907, leading from San Francisco to Bellingham, and even here in our own peaceful Vancouver. Uh, It moved through what was now back then known as Japantown, mainly in Powell Street, and there were over 20,000 protesters. There was a lot of damage to Japanese-owned businesses, such as broken windows and destroyed shops, and the residents fought back, but the police was able to bring order back to the town the next day. Even then, trade units still protested on September 7, 1907, and marched into Vancouver's Japanese-Chinese area, and it became out of control. Even more vandalization occurred, and Vancouver police again tried to dismember the protest by the day. A handful of people were injured, there were no deaths, and 27 people were arrested for violence. However, the Uchida Soten store was not so lucky, and it suffered a lot of damage. About $43 then, but due to inflation now, it's known as $1,000. And if anyone ever questions that fact, it came from Mackenzie King herself, himself, our former prime minister and then minister of labor who was sent to investigate the damage following these riots. After the anti-Asian riots, uh, Ukita Shoten became the Kasuga Kashieten with a new owner named Junzo Yamaki in 1927. And what's interesting about this store is that Kashiten is a candy or confectionery shop. It sold sweet red bean cakes and mochi, chewy sweet rice. Mmm. <laughs> and this store was basically ran by Jun- Junzo Yamaki's wife, who makes these sweet Japanese, or the special sweet uh, candy on Japanese holidays. For instance, the Sakura Manju on Girls' Day, which is, which is on March 3rd. So, unfortunately, as a result of World War II, racism for the Japanese population in Vancouver and the rest of Canada did not cease. In fact, many Japanese were forcibly interned in camps across the country, and so were the owners of the store. This eventually resulted in a number of their possessions, including the store itself, being sold off to auction, with them, of course, not getting any of the money. 
But beyond that, the store next to it still exists today and has become a department store. The next topic we want to talk about is Ukida Kinuko, the first Japanese woman to immigrate to Canada. She was born on September 25, 1872 in the Hiroshima Prefecture. She's the youngest of five girls, three of whom came to Canada. She arrived in Canada in 1889 at the age of 16, and she married a man named Chiyoshichi in 1890. Her husband, Ukida Chiyoshichi, was one of the first Japanese to be naturalized. Together, they also had a daughter, Hatsui, who was born in 1891 and was the first Nisei girl in Vancouver. Beyond that, Kiniko also worked with her husband in the import business and often went to ask custom officers not to set a high price on soyo and miso coming from Japan, which of course fed into the direct profits of their store. However, as mentioned earlier, after the 1907 riots, Kiniko came in front of the Mackenzie King Commission themselves with all receipts for the repair of the damage of their property, which we mentioned earlier as $1,000. So another interesting fact was that on top of helping out the store and working in the import industry, Kiniko was also a midwife. Kiniko's own son, Matsuburo Uchida, established the Kiniko Uchida Memorial Scholarship at UBC in her memory because he was an advocate for higher education. He was also became a doctor and practiced on Powell Street, which is quite near their own store and showcases a long-standing history of this area with the Japanese population of Vancouver. So as you could tell from the earlier topics discussed in this podcast, the Uchida family and many other Japanese immigrants faced a widespread amount of racism and other difficulties moving to Canada. So you're probably wondering to yourselves why they would come here in the first place. And that is why we're discussing the broader topic of immigration, specifically the reasoning behind it that led to their flight from Japan. So in the late 19th century, Japan ended its long-closing closed-door policy, or the Sakoku policy, which meant the country was now open to the rest of the world and people could leave the country freely. This also led to a dramatic increase of communication with the West and after, after several unequal treaties. It also led to more trade ships coming in, going out, and transportation conditions eased as well, allowing people to leave the country for the first time. Stefan will now take it away from here. Yeah, following the Meiji Restoration, many sought refuge from the conflict between imperialists and their enemies. In addition, the adoption of pro-Western stance led to a dramatic social change from the old tradition to the new and rising enthusiasm to learn about the West. Japanese government literally absorbed anything related to the West. For instance, you can see a good example in popular culture, such as in the movie Last Samurai. Right? The public interest in the West went up as they start imitating Western clothing, facial hair, and even weapons, and even more. So despite many Japanese uh, individuals moving to Canada, the as we mentioned before, the situation they faced was dire and unfair. At the backdrop, many other Asian communities immigrated as well. And in response to the racist policies of the Canadian government, they instituted measures such as the Chinese Immigration Act of 1885 which put a head tax on the amount of Chinese coming in, and it required them to pay $50 to enter. This might seem unfounded now, given the 21st century, but they had concerns as well about the Asians coming in. As they were immigrants who would be willing to work for less, it would lower wages in general. It's not a justifiable reason, but it is something to provide more context. And on that note, to discuss the broader concepts of South Asian community and the origins of the 1907 riots we mentioned earlier, in addition, there's 
more uh, opportunities in the West, such as in Canada, since Canada's GDP per capita was twice more than Japan's around 1870s. As a result of this, when people came here to Canada, there was a large amount of anti-Asian sentiment, specifically not just at the Japanese, but Chinese population as well. And to control this act, the Canadian government enacted measures such as the Chinese Immigration Act and the head tax, charging $50 for Chinese entry to the country. Among the first to leave Japan were students and also an enterprising group of 40 who, in 1868, under the leadership of the naturalized Japanese of Dutch origin, came to California and engaged in tea and silk production. In 1884, after years of persistent effort, were the sugar planters able to arrange with the Japanese government a convention and contract providing for an arrangement to permit workers to leave the country for Hawaii. And the year marked the beginning of the migration of the laboring class to foreign lands. Even the growth of the Japanese immigration population to the U.S. in its early years was slow. Up to 1891, less than 1,000 annually were attracted, and then somewhat under 2,000 until 1898. After the turn of the century, the figures rose to over 5,000 annually, until 1908, when the restrictive measures imposed by the USA in 1907 came into effect and reduced the numbers drastically. The high water mark of Japanese immigration to this continent was reached in 1907. Over 30,000 individuals came to the United States, and just over 8,000 came to Canada as well. The majority of Japanese immigrants who came to Canada were young men from the farms of Sakaido and Sanyodo areas, which comprised respectively the southern islands of Kyushu and the southwestern section of the main island of Honshu. The Japanese government did not wish to impair its national dignity and prestige by sending abroad people who were likely to produce unfavorable impressions of Japanese nation and its people. In 1901, the census revealed that the number of Japanese in Canada to be about 4,674, of whom all but 159 were residents in British Columbia. Between 1901 and 1904, the numbers which immigrated to Canada were assumed to be small due to the temporary ban on immigration from, from, by the Japanese government. In 1901, only 56 Japanese arrived at Canadian ports. By the fiscal year, 1904 to 1905, the first year in which the Immigration Department kept statistics of Vic at Victoria and Vancouver, the number of Japanese immigrants was 354. Such a low increment through immigration actually produced a shortage of workers. A substantial increase in immigration was first noticeable in the fiscal year of 1905 to 1906, when, when 1,922 Japanese disembarked at BC ports. In the latter half of 1906, 1,435 arrived and 607 came during the first three months of 1907. But one factor to be considered in the determination of net immigration to Canada was the large number of birds of passage who went on to the USA. There was also the epidemic of bubonic plague in Hawaii that prompted the people to leave, ultimately to choose to come to Canada. The first known immigrant from Japan arrived in Canada in 1877. The guy's name was Nagano Manzo. Most of the first generations of immigrants arrived during the first decade of the 20th century. They came from fishing villages and farms in Japan and settled in Vancouver and Victoria and in the surrounding towns. Others settled on farms in the Fraser Valley and in the fishing villages, mining, sawmill, and pulp mill towns scattered along the Pacific coast. The first migrants were single males, but were soon joined by young women and families were started. 
The Wildest Night in Vancouver is produced by students in History 271 at the University of British Columbia under the direction of Tristan Gruno. This series was sponsored by the UBC Department of History and supported by the Public History Initiative. Special thanks to the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT, and 101.9 CITR Campus Radio. Thank you for listening.